the province of Gauteng on this Tuesday takeover this evening. Of course, hashtag Tuesday takeover. Sisambali, good evening. Thank you so much for joining us. Making me sound so old. <laughs> if I called you anything else, because my mother is listening, I would have secured myself a lack of varum club the next time I see her. So I'm not trying in any way to indebt myself to my mother's otherwise very good and gracious upbringing. So okay, okay. I will honor the, <laughs> if for nothing else, the fact that you are a leader in our society and you hold a special position in that, and you're a married woman, I think it's very difficult from time to time to just call them, you know, that's got nothing to do with my age, but the fact that I think your, your titles, very social titles, your very professional titles, require my respect. Talking about that, let's start from your days in the SRC. That's where yeah. a lot of people in your space start from, you know. <laughs> And learn yeah. the tricks of the game, as it were. He says the tricks of but the game. But also to try and understand perhaps the context of South Africa's landscape. Social landscape, economic landscape, political landscape. Student days, that's where that ought to be tested. Sometimes yeah. before in your scholar days, but you cut your teeth in student politics. That's true. Tell you really find that. yourself in, in varsity. And I really think that's where, for me, the politics came into play because I think otherwise, I mean, from primary school, high school, everything else was, was just really community service, serving and so forth. And politics really found me in varsity. Um, and you correctly indicate, I mean, I led in a number of the various student bodies that were there, culminating to the SRC. Was it ultimately. DAS or what, what was it? Was it DAS or the party that you belong to? <laughs> ANC. <laughs> I'm kidding, guys. I was Jefferson guys. of Sosko. Kidding. <laughs> kidding, of course, as an ANC person. Yeah, so, I mean, from leading the branches, um, even some of, like, you know, the various student bodies that were there, ultimately leading to being president of the SRC, which was really fun, uh, but challenging. Mm. Uh, you know, you deal with exclusions. I got arrested and, yeah, not, my, not to my parents' yeah. liking, but... It is what it is, and it's it's where you cut your teeth, as you correctly indicate, and it does prepare you for the outside world. Let's talk about engaging. I mean, I wouldn't say too long ago you were a student, but I think it's probably a generation at most behind the current generation from some of the issues you were engaging. Of course, those issues are new, if you will into this democratic dispensation. So also the period where the nation is in terms of her transition. What are some of the things as you engage the plight of young people? And I'm asking this in the context of social development. Mm. Some of the social problems that persist, not in your under seven community, not in your under 18 community. Let's, where we start this conversation from the student community that becomes social development challenges of the nation at large. What are some of the things you regret that higher education has not been able to move past as challenges really to the student experience, to the student being in as optimal a position as possible to really dedicate oneself to one's studies in, in pursuit of knowledge, in the contestation of ideas, ideology, and the prevailing of those really good ideas. What stands in the way? Because before a student can be that person, they absolutely have to take care of A, B, C, and D. What, what are those challenges? Yeah. I mean, if you look at just our stats, then it shows you that there's a lot of unemployment, both for those that are lowly skilled, but also for your graduates. And it's about really preparing young people to be able to get out in the, to the world and stand on their own. 
And I think we've built a society where everybody's standing with a CV. You know, we're all preparing to have a CV and look for a job and so forth. And I really think that we really need to build a lot more entrepreneurs. So there's a lot more innovation um, and innovative thinking that really needs to be introduced. And I find that as something that's quite grappling that we really need to do. I mean, even in our own department, part of the things that I fight with officials about so much is that you really don't want to create people that are, are overly dependent. I mean, the state is there to create an enabling environment and we continue to do that. But we must be able to give people hand ups. Um, and that's really what it is for me. I mean, if you look, and I say this, I use this example a lot. If you look at... Dubai, as an example. I mean, it's really a desert, but those guys have Was been able. Was a desert. Exactly. So, but it's about how you reimagine your space. And that's where innovation comes in. And if you're able to inspire people to have hope, but also to see and reimagine what their current existence is, that's all you need. You just need to be able to shine that spark. I'm going to ask you a controversial question <laughs> against what you've just said. What works in that context is. The crown prince says this, and it happens. Doesn't negotiate. Doesn't have these hula hoops that you typically would have to jump in the name of process. Mm. Institutional bureaucracy. That's a major game changer. Big time. Big time. And, and you're correct. I mean, you also know that we do have a constitution which is celebrated everywhere. And the courts. Very liberal in approach. Um, and it does require lots of people to be engaged and so forth. So there are times where, you know, as you correctly indicate, I mean, they say this is the way we're going and everybody moves that way. Um, do we have an environment of that nature? I think we've got some areas where we're not able to be as of what would be seen as being a dictatorship of sorts because of our constitution that is in place. But that doesn't mean that it has to negate having a vision in place and really steering the nation into where you want to go. Mm. And that's what about it's that's what it is. I mean, if you look at our premier um, and various other leaders, it's about inspiring hope and being able to rally society behind what your vision is and where you really want to take people and to get them to be part and parcel of that bigger vision that you want to have. And I think it's possible. I mean, we are already the economic hub in this province. Um, there's no reason for us to to find ourselves locked within welfare issues. Um, of course they are there because of our socioeconomic um, situation that's there. And, you know, of course the stats there speak for themselves. But mm -hmm. we need to inspire hope, and particularly amongst young people. And how do we get them to be innovators um, and to think beyond just the present, but to really reimagine the type of South Africa we want to have? And I think it's possible. Anything is possible in a society that dedicates itself to that and does not contemplate anything that otherwise would take its eye off that ball that is yeah. to that promised land. And against that, I'm going to engage, and I think this is where perhaps you and I might spar properly. You <laughs> mentioned hand up. If I were to say to you for 30 years, there has been a growing culture of entitlement in the Absolutely. social development space or in what who typically would be a priority for the Department of Social Development, be it child, person with a yeah. disability, person who's aged, person who's unemployed or for whatever reason, a, a consumer of services or yeah. social development. I'm not saying this is the case. I'm, I'm probing 
whether or not this is not a conversation to in fact have, mm. that government policies around social development have been handouts more than they are hand-ups. A child is entitled to a meal at school, yeah. to scholar transport, to a social grant. Now there's an SRD grant mm. nationally for people who are unemployed. There's a grant for being over the age, 60 or 65, depending if you're a man or a woman. Mm. You are entitled to a house from the state and other forms of social security. Those on their own were necessary absolutely to service the backlog of apartheid and mm -hmm. colonialism before and its vestiges that continue, I accept. Yeah. Is the model that is used to service that backlog the optimal model? In other words, what should we keep? What should we consider perhaps jettisoning with and start getting into a transactional relationship, state and consumer social services? Absolutely. This is my refrain, rightly or wrongly, and perhaps even from a position of privilege because Thankfully, I'm not one who would typically be a consumer of national government social services. And I'm saying this, is it not better? And I ask anybody, as long as the conversation is social, anything, I ask this question. Yeah. Should we not be engaging more forthrightly a conversation about if you receive a benefit, social benefit from the mm -hmm. government, there must be an exchange at a minimum your time. Yeah. There's plenty of work in this country. Yes. There might not be employment to that extent, but there's plenty of work to be done. Your thoughts on that? That's my final you're question. Absolutely correct. You know, it's like you're sitting in one, one of our departmental meetings, and Call I come anytime. in with the <laughs> Call me anytime. <laughs> and I really come in with the same spirit, and I think that's why, you know, for the longest time, you correctly indicate the Department of Social Development has been seen as the Department of Social Welfare, and it was that because it needed to deal with balancing out the injustice there, and it will continue to have a mandate where we have to take care of the vulnerable. But our argument is that we need to move to a space where you're able to have people that are actively involved within the economy. And you can't do that if they're reliant on grants um, and this handouts and so forth, because it has created a dangerous dependency over time. And you know it. I mean, all of us know um, the entitlement that you talk about and so forth. And it has been built over time. And we have an appreciation that when we are at a point now because of the economic landscape that we're in we not we don't have a, lot, a huge population that we're able to draw our income tax from and so forth so you need to build a culture of work particularly because south africa is a youthful country so it doesn't make sense why you should be having young people dependent on the state as it is currently the case when they are not necessarily those who are really vulnerable. I mean, if you talk about people that are differently abled, those that are elderly, children, and so forth, those who can be able to work, we must drive them towards that because it's a win-win for everybody. Not only do you take them away from a point of dependency, but you're also able for us, for all of us, be able to derive the benefits of having them being economically active. And that's why in Gauteng we combined the department... 20 seconds, I've got a countdown. <laughs> that's why in Gauteng we combined the Department of Social Development together with Agriculture, Rural Development and Environment because we had an appreciation that instead of the department giving out food parcels as what it, it has been doing, let's teach people how to fish. Let's teach them and we do that through agriculture. So that they're able to sustain themselves and make sure that you're not only feeding them for a month, but really can feed them um, for a much longer period. Do you confirm you'll come back where you will be my guest? Absolutely. To probe these questions further. Absolutely. You heard it first year, 2021. Bali Lope is the takeover after this.
Tuesday Takeover on the Viewpoint. And hello, and I'm the Gauteng MEC for Social Development, Agriculture, Rural Development and Environment. And I'm officially taking over and it's Tuesday. So if you enjoy this, um, do give a shout out. But I do say that if I enjoy it a lot more than you do, I'm definitely taking over your job. So be ready for a coup complete. Maybe this is where I, I don't slang and I'm going to can happily swap, no problem. <laughs> so... Part of the work, I mean, and in the earlier discussion that we had, we looked at social development, but our department is quite diverse and we do look at agriculture, rural development and environment. And that is why part of the things that we want to look at and pay particular focus to um, in terms of the areas that we want to build skills within the country is on the waste economy and really introduce people to it. Because a lot of people are not aware what the waste economy is about. You know, everybody thinks that it's filth. Um, you know, particularly for Tina, anybody who is associated with picking up papers and so forth. So we really want to interview a young woman who's in the waste economy. She owns a, what we call a buyback center, and this is where people are able to sell their recyclables to. And she's going to tell us just more about herself, her journey. She's a young woman, and here she is. She was chosen to be in something that is regarded to be filthy. Uh, but she's really making top dollar out of it, and she's exporting overseas, and she's doing exceptionally well. So we really want to have her and speak with us today. Um, and hopefully everybody will enjoy the show as we get to meet her. So our guest today is Lerato, young woman as I indicated, and she'll tell us all about what she's doing in the waste economy and what it's about and how people can get involved. You know, part of the things that we're speaking about earlier was that you've got so many people and there's a lot of young people that are without skills or lowly skilled, um, who are unemployed, and what are the different avenues that we want to introduce them into. And so this is one of the areas that we feel is quite important. So do call us. Our number is 086-000-2032, or send your voice notes to 0614-104-107. So we'll go straight to our caller, Hello, Lerato, and how are you? Good evening, MEC Mbali Shopte. I'm very well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, thank you very much. Um, and I'm happy to speak to you. So it's the Tuesday takeover. Mm -hmm. And I, as you know, I've taken over the reins. And I thought, you know, what an, a, a great uh, time to profile one of the young women who I know is doing exceptionally well. And I thought of you immediately, um, yeah. especially because I think, you know, the waste economy is, is an area that people are really don't have much information about. And you could share with them some information in terms of what it is that you do. How did you get into the space? And really, who is Lerato and what made you attracted to filth? Um, yeah, no, so we are trying to move away uh, from looking at waste as filth, uh, but rather glamorize it uh, and get more people involved, especially the young people. You spoke earlier about um, unemployment, and we know um, that we have one of the highest unemployment rate, and uh, waste provides the opportunity 
to generate uh, mass employment uh, due to its manual and uh, labor-intensive methods, you know. So um, I got into waste uh, primarily to uh, address the challenges of managing waste uh, sustainably and also uh, understanding that uh, waste um, is a competence of local government, i.e. the municipalities, and they're struggling uh, with uh, proper ways of disposing waste that are not harmful to the environment. So we have our landfills uh, filling up, um, we're running out of airspace, and so we took a view that uh, we needed to look at it in such a way that we get more people involved, um, divert the waste from ending up in landfill, and one way of doing that was to recycle waste, you know, find um, useful ways to repurpose what has been discarded as waste, uh, what has been tossed in our rivers, um, and, and which ends up polluting our water resources, and bring it back into um, mainstream uh, to feed into the manufacturing processes um, to produce no, new product. So uh, the the attraction was um, we're looking after the environment, so duty of care, environmental care, but at the same time, we can make money. At the same time, we can feed into the manufacturing process and become part of the value chain uh, in terms of new products. So you know what I find very interesting? I mean... A lot of a lot of us and a lot of people would drive in the mornings and they see these people who are carrying the trolleys. Mm-hmm. You know, those who come from Elokshin yeah. and stuff. So they take these trolleys and they fill it up with various sorts of waste, whether it's plastic, it's glass and so forth. Mm-hmm. I was actually shocked um, that these individuals earn between 2,000 to 7,000. And when you consider the amount of people that are reliant on the 350 as a grant, mm-hmm. for example, People just don't actually know that there's, you know, what we consider to be filth and waste is actually mm-hmm. wealth. And so you're one of the young people. And, you know, when you tell people about collecting waste and whatnot, you know, you want us to really be regarded yeah. as people that are crazy and stuff. So what got you into this? Um, so I've always been entrepreneurial um, and waste presented an opportunity in that there were no barriers uh, to entry, or if there were, they were minimal. So the setup costs were very low. Uh, basically, all that I needed uh, was the will and the drive uh, to want to get out of the rut, you know, um, and do something with my life, basically. Um, and so uh, the 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 barriers to entry were not there, as, as I mentioned. Um, and um, and just providing the duty of care to the environment. I think I was passionate about um, looking after the environment, especially in the in the backdrop of climate change. And we've seen uh, what um, you know climate change um, has done, you know, uh, to 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 our day to day or what we've used uh, what we have been we've come to, to, to be used to in terms of um, you know living conditions and so I I started um, off by just setting up I didn't even think about it much um, so I found a facility 
Um, and I engaged a few waste pickers. Those are the guys that you see pushing trolleys on the side of the roads. Um, and I think that process took about three months, um, just establishing rapport between ourselves or myself and the waste pickers, just to get an understanding of what it is that they go through. You know, from waking up in the mornings, uh, collecting the recyclables from your willy bins, which you dispose of your waste in your home, um, and where they would then take the waste to. Some were traveling long distances uh, to the off-takers, which were situated very far from where they, they collect the initial waste. Um, and so the opportunity also existed for me to bring the off-take closer to where these waste pickers were operated from. Um, and so um, the opportunity to also create the jobs um, immediately uh, was presented. And also not only just one job, because the moment you start engaging with the waste pickers, um, you are creating indirect jobs as well. So um, it, it, it was really um, the case of what can I do with just this one uh, opportunity that will have a multiplier effect in terms of the creation of jobs, the creation of income, not only for the business, but for households as well. So if someone's listening to, uh, to you now, um, right at home, and they are an, a young individual who gets the 350 grant, or it's a young mother who's dependent on the grant that she gets for her child for, for in terms of support, how would you say they should get involved? Oh, there's various ways. Um, you know, that adage, old adage that says charity begins at home um, is so very true and so apt uh, to, um, you know, answer your question. Um, we're all waste generators. Um, you know, the moment you consume water um, and you have to discard or dispose of the container, that is immediately waste. Um, there's food waste, um, which we still are battling uh, for a solution uh, to properly dispose uh, of um, in a way that avoids us uh, disposing to landfill. Um, and so you, you need to not look far, you know, um, uh, you know, and you need to be solutions driven, you know. So uh, young people uh, also, as you mentioned in your opening, that a, a lot of times they look at waste as filth. And I quickly countered that by saying we, we're looking to glamorize it. So the moment you dispose of waste, uh, look at a plastic bottle and say, what can be made out of a, a plastic bottle? You know, uh, what can I make with, with food waste? The immediate uh, response to that would be organic waste uh, can be turned into compost. You don't need much. And th that's the beauty about waste. You don't need it. It, it is capital intensive if you look at the, the industrial uh, way of, of um, you know, managing the waste. But uh, small differences, you know, uh, small steps. The the difference that you can make is I have food waste. I have a tea bag. You know, can I perhaps start a compost um, solution, uh, which I can manage at home in a small bucket, and 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 manage it over a few days and see what happens. And there's always uh, a, a you know a, a commercial um, you know, uh, 
you know, component uh, to to waste uh, as a resource. So there's, there's various ways that people can get into waste uh, by collecting your own waste and um, operating a buyback center, which is a, a facility basically that is designed to uh, offtake uh, small-scale recyclable waste. And also, um, you could work in a waste environment, um, providing your admin skills. Um, you know, we have operators that op operate machineries uh, in, in, in our business. We have forklift drivers. We have drivers that run and, and, and operate our fleet that goes around to collect waste uh, in the townships. Um, there's education and awareness uh, that young people can get involved um, in because we, we see a lot of uh, people that um, also don't understand uh, their role in when it comes to um, looking after the environment. Uh, there's a lot of pollution. There's a lot of littering. If you walk the streets of Joburg, um, there's pollution all around. So um, there's various ways really uh, to, to, to get involved. Start where you are. You know, we are all waste generators at the end of the day. Pollution um, is harmful to the environment, you know. Um, so, yeah. Um, so getting yourselves into groups as well, um, you know, looking after your own community, you know, providing solutions that will impact your communities immediately. Um, there was a group of young people that were cleaning wheelie bins, you know, um, and, and, and that's another service that you could provide. Uh, as a young person sitting at home. So thank you for that. And I think that's quite informative for those who don't have a sense of what this waste economy is about and how people can get involved. And of course, there's different levels that a person can, can enter um, the, the yeah. space. I mean, you've spoken about yeah. your waste pickers and these are the individuals who really would pick up and that we those are the ones that we see every morning or even in the evenings where they pick up the various waste and they transport it to you uh, because you have a buyback center and this is where you collect this waste what do you do with it and just from a business point of view if someone wants to yeah. own a buyback center because you've been in the industry for some time now what would yeah. you say has been the what has kept you in the business perhaps let's put it that way what has kept you in the business for so long and what would you say is some of the areas that could attract more people, young people in particular, to really be involved in this. Because I can tell you that, I mean, from an environmental point of view, we in the province create the most amount of waste. Um, mm. And we're also, I mean, stands are also showing that we're running out of landfill. So landfills mm. is where we throw this, space, this waste and so forth. But when people are able to redirect uh, this waste and take it to your areas where what we call your buyback centers and be able to get it within the spaces where it can be recycled and they're able to make some money out of it. It, of course, reduces the amount of waste that we're taking towards the landfills, which is a win-win for us because, as I was indicating, that we are running out of these landfills within the province. So in terms from just a business point of view, um, mm -hmm. And now that people have a sense that they, here's the problem, you already have a problem of waste in, in the province. There's a lot of waste that we are generating um, in addition to that. So if someone wants to own a buyback center, what were the immediate things that you needed to get in besides identifying where the site would be? How did you get your partners involved and who are your partners? So where do you take the waste to? Yeah. 
Um, so when we started the business, um, it was a biopic center, which is a small scale facility where you would offtake immediately from your uh, trolley pushers, your waste pickers um, and other waste collectors. Um, however, we are currently operating a medium sized materials recovery facility, uh, which is a much uh, a bigger and industrial uh, facility which sorts and packages recyclable waste for offtake by the manufacturing industry. So we feed in directly uh, to the manufacturing uh, uh, industry uh, who use the waste that we have packaged uh, as an input in uh, or a first step in, in their manufacturing uh, processes. So um, a, a buyback center would be um, uh, you know the the, the low the low level entry uh, point uh, for anyone who uh, wants to get into into the waste uh, business. And uh, just to quickly backtrack to what you said earlier um, about reimagining uh, the way we do things. You know, uh, in waste we are guided by a hierarchy called the the waste hierarchy, which is basically uh, uh, an order of um, how we should prioritize the disposal or the management of waste. So it encourages us at the very top to reduce, and then it says we should reuse and then uh, recycle the waste before disposing it to landfill. But I like to also add uh, maybe two uh, re's, as in the rethink and reimagine, because we need to reimagine, uh, you know, the environment um, and the living spaces that are free of pollution and free of litter you know, and prioritize environmental care. So, um, and uh, when you look at the manufacturing um, aside, they are also duty bound by what they call the extended producer responsibility, which says they should also uh, look at ways that are, are aimed at reducing the waste that is produced from the very beginning, from the very design, from a design perspective, from a packaging perspective. They should rethink how they uh, you know, design uh, packaging. Now, to get back to um, getting into the buyback center space, we also need to rethink and reimagine how we position uh, the offtake of recyclable waste from the environment, from the communities uh, within which we live. So facility would be number one. Uh, equipment would be number two because it's it's very uh, uh, critical in in the packaging of the waste to the uh, to the standards of the offtakers, i.e., the manufacturing uh, industry. Um, so your um, your your small scale because uh, that's what you will need also uh, to weigh uh, the, uh, the the recyclables that are coming into the facility because remember a biopic center is exactly that you are buying waste from the waste pick pickers and other waste collectors so you, you need to have you would have a scale to weigh whatever product that they bring to you you will need a float so it's also cash intensive um, you will need to uh, have a, a sense, you know, of the numbers as well. Uh, you know, um, it, it's, it's critical to understand uh, your numbers. Volumes also, volumes is critical. So the more you are able to recover from the general waste streams, um, the more uh, recyclable product you're going to get, the more you can bulk up for sale uh, to the manufacturing industry. Um, so you will need... 
yeah, uh, <laughs> logistics are also a very important um, uh, a part of the business because you will need to some extent uh, to provide a collection services, uh, particularly for those go-go's because a lot of times um, the people who are really involved in the in, in the collection of recyclable waste, and we have found this, uh, you know, to be uh, mostly women, mothers, um, uh, grandparents, whose funds go a long way in sustaining young, young children in school and many other uh, families and households. Great. So, so we've got a couple uh, of callers um, who would like yeah. to step in. So just to remind everyone, I'll, uh, call us on 86 triple zero. 2032 or send your voice notes to 0614104107 and I'm Bali Lopez the MEC for social development agriculture rural development and environment so we on the call today with Lorado who's a young woman who is owning a, a, a facility that deals with waste and we're t learning today about how we can be able to make money out of waste and see waste as wealth not as filth as what would be known as. So we're inviting all those who want to call and who have an interest just in the waste economy and to learn more about what it's about. Uh, she's unpacking for us just what her daily job is. Um, a young woman who has taken something that many would not consider, since a lot of us just really see it as something that is dirty, smelly, and so forth. But she has seen an opportunity, and this is what a real entrepreneur sees opportunity in what many disregard as something that should just be seen as waste and thrown away. So she's been able to identify the opportunities that are there within waste and is doing exceptionally well. And I understand you also, where do you take your waste to? I understand you've got some international partners um, because you've grown quite a big facility and your story is, is quite mind-blowing to think that mm -hmm. you really started from scratch to where yeah. you're owning quite a big facility now and you are able to employ a number of individuals. Um, yes, um, so we started off as a, a two persons operation. Uh, now we employ um, 35 uh, individuals um, whom are you know, involved in the various uh, operations of, of the business. As I mentioned, we have uh, drivers, we have operators, machine operators, uh, waste handling equipment uh, operators. Uh, we have admin and support um, staff as well. Um, and we're very also passionate about the development of the people that we bring into the business. Um, so we've had people that came in at the very beginning who could not drive, who could not operate machinery, um, and, and, and we put them through programs that um, empowered them and enabled them to uh, gain a skill or two. So we're very proud of that. Uh, in terms of our partners, we're also, uh, uh, you know, selected to be part of enterprise supply developments um, by one of our off-takers, whom is an international uh, manufacturer, uh, Sapi Refiber. Um, and it, it's been, uh, you know, a journey that um, began, um, you know, when we were just starting and they've held our hand um, and provided support 
um, non-financial support in the form of machinery uh, and the offtake agreement, which has been in existence since 2018. Um, so that guarantees uh, revenues for us, uh, steady cash flows, which enables us to reinvest um, part of those um, revenues into growing our business. Uh, we also have offtakers in the polymers, uh, which would be the plastics manufacturers. Um, we also work with uh, other uh, offtakers in the paper industry. Um, so all these uh, different uh, offtakers are manufacturers who utilize our product, which is the post-consumer packaging material, as raw materials in their uh, processing uh, of new products. So it's a win-win uh, situation. Um, Absolutely. So, you know, the, yeah. our department, as you know, I mean, we've rolled out this big program where we've employed uh, 6,000 young individuals, what we call yeah. the Green Army. And part of the work that they'll be doing is really to go into communities, assist them with what we call cleaning and greening. So not only mm -hmm. do they clean our communities, but they also assist them with agriculture so that they're able to to be able to be self-sufficient because as we were mm -hmm. speaking earlier and you would have heard with the engagement we're discussing that we really want to lift people so they're able to do more for themselves and you do that as part of skills development but also exposing them to various other areas and i can tell you that you know when we speak to a number of young people and just generally people um, and you tell them about waste it's such an undesirable area and you really mm -hmm. almost have to expose them to just what the benefits are and that, you mm -hmm. know, you may sit at home and you, you, you're thinking that there are no jobs. And that's what a lot of people say, that there are no jobs. Uh, we want mm -hmm. employment. Government is not doing enough and so forth. And we say to them, but, you know, there's so many opportunities right before mm -hmm. you. Um, if yeah. you look around and it's really about seeing opportunity even in areas where you many would absolutely just, disregard and, and waste is one of those. And so through this program and the 6,000 that we've got on board, it's to teach people and expose them to how waste is actually wealth and how they can be able to get involved within that area. And we teach them the various skills that are there. And what we found to be a key gap, which is what you're saying, is that, you know, these buyback centers or avenues where people can be able to sell these recyclable goods. So if you've been able to collect papers, collect your cans, your bottles and so forth. And if you think about just if you a typical township where you've got so many of these shippings that would be there or taverns, as mm -hmm. they would be called, there's so much waste that it gets generated there and the bottles that people can be able to collect and immediately make money out of it. But they're not, they don't know about that because, one, these facilities are very far from them. So part of the things that we're doing and why we work with the likes of yourself is to bring these a lot closer. So yours is situated in the township, and that's what we want to see because mm -hmm. our teach approach is about townships and formal settlements and hostels. And we really want to bring these facilities close to people. So that as they collect, whether or a small child, and these are things that even can be done with small kids, where they can be able to collect uh, the bottles and so forth. There's a fun activity, but be able to make some form of remuneration out of it to be mm -hmm. able to assist, whether it's at home or give to their parents, or even just collect it as part of their monies that they're going to um, save. And you teach them about how they can be able to save. 
Um, so it's those opportunities and now we expose people to it because mm. there's no reason. I mean, if you look at various other countries where there's very little waste that is there, it's because they've been able to be exposed to how they can be able to make money out of the mm. waste that is there, particularly because, as you say, we create waste on a daily basis. So these mm. are some of the initiatives that we need to have there and we really need to massify as much as possible to have as many young people um, and really people in general realize that you don't need to be dependent on the various grants that would be there and how can we solve what would be the environmental issues that we have, such as waste in this regard, um, to make sure that we're able to make an income out of it. You know, but we also deal with issues around food security mm. and food security is a big one. You know, if you go and you drive around in, uh, in townships and so forth, our, people mm. have beautiful lawns and mm. pavement that they have. And when you think about that small piece of land that can be mm. utilized for even to be able to have your small mm. little uh, veggie patch so that you're able to yeah. feed the home, because it absolutely makes no sense why you would be having this veg, uh, this beautiful garden or even just pavement when you could be utilizing that land. And you spoke about one of the great things that you you spoke about, that even compost. So it's one mm. of the other avenues that are there. So if you're not only just collecting the waste, there's also food waste that is generated and people can be able to utilize this and we teach them how they can make compost out of it. And that is utilized by various farmers um, various mm. industries and are able to utilize that. So as part of the things, and I, um, I just see that the time is really rushing <laughs> ahead of us, but what would be the key things that you would say? I mean, it's Women's Month now. What are the things yeah. that you would say and how would you motivate other um, women, whether it's a woman who's a GBV victim and she's stuck at home because she's dependent on her husband um, and really has no ideas of what are the things that she can do to be able to feed and sustain herself so that she's able to get out of an abusive situation. Or maybe it's a young person, you know, who feels like they don't know what else to do with themselves except to watch the sun rise and set because all they know about is that you just need to prepare your CV um, so that you're able to find employment. How would you motivate them? Because you've taken the giant leap and you've really gone mm -hmm. against what would be the grain of what everybody would be doing. You've ventured into... An, an area that a lot of people would not find attractive. So what would be those um, closing remarks that you would have for individuals who would want to get into the space, but also just how to motivate them in terms of being able to find opportunity? Um, so the opportunities um, are always there, um, you know, um, but also I would like to just deal with the issue of um, this notion that waste is wealth. I, I believe it. I support it. However, there's the misconception that that happens overnight. And I think um, that's where um, we come short and, and fail ourselves in the process that we want overnight success. Uh, whilst you may realize it's possible to realize success um, in a very short space of time, uh, but you have to apply yourself. You have to be ready when opportunity knocks. You know, you have to uh, be prepared, you know, um, when the opportunity uh, shows up, you know, in a way. Um, so being in the business of waste, um, it being a predominantly white-owned uh, industry, 
it's male dominated. Um, it, it's been a challenge it's, uh, that one had to navigate, um, you know, using um, various, uh, you know, uh, very uncomfortable methods to, um, to, to, to get in and, and, and kick down the doors and, and you know, uh, and it took that, it, it, it takes resilience, um, it takes uh, dedication, uh, a lot of sleepless nights, um, and, and just basically knocking on doors over and over and over again, uh, because the, you will be confronted by rejection. Um, you might have a concept in your head, you might have a vision um, that you might not be able at the time to articulate it. Um, you might need to uh, pivot, you might need to, you know, adapt. You know, adaptation is also very key, um, whilst you're remaining flexible as well. Um, and reading up, you know, um, staying abreast of the trends, uh, you know, desktop studies, uh, engaging the municipalities. In, in my case, I, I did a lot of engagements with municipalities. I did a lot of piloting for municipalities uh, in the waste uh, space. And I just availed, uh, you know, my time and the very little resources that I had uh, at the time. And most importantly, I think um, it was, you know, the willingness for me to, to put in the work. And it's something that I see the youth of today lacks. You know, the youth don't want to put in the work. They don't want to put in the extra hours. Um, nothing comes easy. You always have to work over and over, uh, you know, and improve yourselves. And, and therefore, um, uh, you, 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 you start to realize uh, the, you know, the, the results. Consistency, uh, enrolling in programs that are geared at, um, you know, supporting you um, to, you know, to, to, to understand the ins and outs of running a business. Um, so I would, I would say it's not easy, um, but it's doable. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And you've taken the giant leap um, to get into, as we say, an industry that a lot of people wouldn't. I mean, I'm reading the comments just on my Insta and a lot of people are saying, so you're collecting with Doti. We studied to collect uh, rubbish and so forth. So you can see that there's still a lot of stigma that is attached um, to waste. But you... <laughs> I mean, there's so many other various areas that a person can get involved. So you don't directly collect the, the waste. There are those who are waste pickers. You're really on the higher end of the value chain where you now run in terms of what has been collected and how you're able to sell it off so that it can be able to utilize by the various individuals that are the producers of it. So there's a lot of work that we certainly need to do. And how do we change and bring about a paradigm shift on how people yeah. perceive waste and be able yeah. that it actually is wealth and there's quite a lot that can be done with it so i am joined back by <laughs> Soyezo, who has just stepped in to uh to officially do his coup i thought i was going to take over from his side but here he is stepping in um straight into the show thank you so much Lerato. um thank you it's it's not a keep going hard um you're a young woman and it's absolutely amazing i mean i find the work that you're doing quite astonishing and hopefully in time 
people will begin to see that, you know, there's so much space that is there and we don't need to be dependent on grants. We can be able to lift ourselves up and working together with government. We really want to open up as many opportunities as there are and introduce people to as many sectors as possible. So thank you so much. I hand over to the king himself. Ah, title I've never been given before. Thank you. Lerato. Go well. You've done great and we anticipate even greater things from you. Certainly do appreciate your indulging us for as much as you have. Sisimbali, the date continues on the other side of the news break. Definitely. You've earned your stripes, so the king is going to make a queen out of you after the news break. Everybody who's participated by way of SMS voice note or calls that are pending, we certainly still do appreciate that. And please do continue contributing. But for now, let's find out what's going on in the world around us. Tuesday Takeover on The Viewpoint. I do wish sometimes the conversations we have off air actually were conversations <laughs> on, on air. air. The, the level of honesty <laughs> off air is amazing and it's, it's great, it's refreshing. But of course, let me tell you for free, no amount of live television or live broadcasting anything is as unsanitized as you think it is. Anything that goes to air, if anything, best believe it is sanitized, if not manipulated, particularly television. Uh. Radio, less so. Television, mm, be very wary of live TV. Oh. Remember those days of delayed live? Yes. There's a lot of that editing, in the name of editing. live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I'm just thinking out loud. Sisimbali, thank you so much for doing that. Um, you've certainly engaged a very important conversation. You know, for those who are familiar with Johannesburg, that conversation would probably land somewhat differently and possibly with a sense of patience because those who are in the informal waste management system would be carting their trolleys. And if you're on Republic, William, in fact, name a road, they are there. They are there because that's where the waste is. As motorists... Because we're privileged, we tend to get impatient absolutely, and, and upset even when we don't see them in time on the road because they're not wearing a reflective vest. Mm. And this is the best time for them, frankly, to be on the road. It's cooler, less traffic, yeah. and the waste is wherever waste is. But if then we talk about the fact that they are, first of all, earning, which is great, there's dignity in that. But they account for something like 30% mm. of waste management in the city or yeah. the province. What that says to me, Imagine oneself with your anger and your privilege and your irritation at seeing these guys on the road. Imagine if they were not there and what your environment would look like with 30% more waste. Absolutely. And what that also tells me, the institutional failures in waste management. Forget the green economy that's there, just waste management from an environmental hazard and environmental health perspective. Lots of scope here between national, provincial, as well as local government. I don't know where the core competency of this rests with. Just summarize this conversation and some of the issues perhaps we should be more aware of. I just love how you've crystallized it. You know, these guys, we call them waste pickers, and people absolutely undermine them. You know, um, we we look down on them, and they play, I mean, there you go. They they play such an important role um, in society because they carry their trolleys. And like you're saying, I mean, they account for a large amount a substantial amount, rather, of waste that they take away and are able to redirect it away from what are, what is our landfills. So in terms of from a legislative mandate, mm. you know, waste um, 
removal is the mandate of local government. But we took an approach in the province, having seen just how filthy the province was getting, that we needed to get involved. And of course, there was a lot of, you know, um, chats and so forth and agreements that we needed to have in place with local government, which I can indicate that they were quite excited to have us coming on board because, as you know, I mean, with load shedding and, you know, the issues are compounding in terms of the monies that and the revenue that local government is able to make. So we really have a great partnership because we're able to assist them. Waste management is critical. You can imagine what it Very. would look like and what our cities would look like without these guys. Okay. So where to from here? Final question. <laughs> where to from here? Um, Department of Social Development, Agriculture, Environment and Rural Development, your priorities for this administration, if not for this financial year? So we've combined these two critical departments. And I was saying earlier that, you know, it's about bringing a paradigm shift. So we move social development from being seen as a welfare department. Uh -huh. We're about raising the development and social development. And that's why we were able to, to combine these two departments. And the premier was able to say, let's combine these two. Because if you want to raise the developmental agenda, let's do that through by bringing agriculture, rural uh, development and environment and bring them in so that you're able to couple these and have these two departments work together. So we really are focusing more on skills. Um, of course, we continue to take care of the vulnerable, your children, the elderly, those who are differently able. We'll continue to do that. We have a legislative mandate towards them. But we want to get as many young people as possible away from the dependency of the state to be able to make a meaningful income by exposing them to the various industries that are there. So the waste economy is one of them. It's not a fashionable thing. It's, you know, um, it's grimy, it's smelly and so forth. And people have all sorts of connotations that they're attached to it. But there's so much revenue that can be made from it. Um, it's just about exposing people to it. And that's why we really want and we follow the numbers i mean from the those that are dependent and who get the various sasa grants that would be there we're able to move them and see how have we moved an individual from one place and take them to the next level and that for me i think is the greatest thing um in terms of this combination and what it's allowed us to do about raising that developmental agenda we certainly wish you well as you do that well spoken on this issue and it's convincing certainly to hear i hope to witness <laughs> i hope to witness so Zimbali, you had a I'm great time. I'm coming back. Here. You're of course, you're coming back for sure. Do you have a great time though? Absolutely. Fantastic. Never wrecking at first, but I don't know how you guys do oh, you're this at home without now, right? the edits. You're at home now. Twenty one twelve, everybody. That was the Gauteng MEC for social development, agriculture, environment, and rural development. We thank her for your time and the wonderful team behind her. One, two, three, four, five heads that I can see and count. And of course, we do appreciate your being here at this time of day, knowing that your schedule doesn't stop because you are now here. All of the very best, ma'am. Much appreciated. Let's take a break, guys. After this, it is a conversation in the Eastern Cape or with somebody from the Eastern Cape, specifically Ms. Helen Souls August, Speaker of the Eastern Cape Provincial Legislature, talking about all things to do with LGBTQIA plus community after the break. Hey, guys. Don't get left out of...